This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Today we're going to be continuing on in the third part of our uh, new series, and um, also as I get started this morning, I want to point out, you know, so I was going through the lobby last week, I, I thought I heard some parents with small children saying the name of our series wrong. Uh, the series is called, You Asked For It, Not You're Asking For It, but just a subtle difference, just thought I'd point that out. Anyways, in this series, we're going to be answering questions, right? We're answering questions from people right here in our congregation that they submitted. And the question that we're going to be taking a look at this morning is this. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? I have a confession about this this morning. Um, Nobody actually submitted this question. Uh, I wrote it in, you know. No, no, uh, what happened was we got several, several questions about prayer, uh, kind of uh, like last week. Uh, you might have heard Pastor Brian mention, we got several questions about idolatry. Well, we got several questions about prayer, you know, praying God's will or, or you know, who we should talk to in prayer and so on and so forth. And, and so I wanted to begin with what I thought was the first question. Why should we pray? I think it might help us to answer, as we look at this, a lot of our other questions about prayer, a lot of the questions that, that came in. Now, I remember uh, growing up, I grew up in a uh, small town, rural America, just put your finger in the middle of the map and you hit Kansas, and the middle of Kansas, and you hit my town. And uh, growing up there, we, uh, we, I played on a live sports team, and every single sports team I was on, we prayed the Lord's Prayer before going out to the game. Maybe, maybe you, some of you experience this too. But I mean, it, football, baseball, wrestling, track, it didn't matter. We prayed the Lord's Prayer before going out on that field. And uh, when I was growing up there, you know, at first I thought, you know, this is kind of cool, right? Because, you know, we're praying, and we're praying in school. That feels kind of rebellious these days. Uh, shows you what kind of rebel I was in high school. <laughs> but... Um, but anyways, you know, I thought this was kind of cool. But over time, I began to realize why we prayed. Why we prayed. Uh, and I began to realize that we prayed because it was our lucky rabbit's foot. Right? I mean, we, we didn't miss a single game of praying the Lord's Prayer beforehand. And at least the guys on the teams that I was playing on, you know, they would go from locker room talk to, you know, hitting the knee. Right? Reciting the prayer. And then talking about, you know, how we're going to beat the, you know, blood out of, you know, the team. And, and then, you know, they would, they would, after the game, they'd go out, you know, party and so on and so forth. And I just realized the Lord's Prayer, for most of them, was nothing but some empty phrases as a precaution against injury and in hopes of winning. Now, God can use any kind of prayer, right? Thankfully. But it was a crystal clear example for me of why it's so important that we answer this question, of why do we pray to begin with. 
And, you know, over the years of talking with people, I've heard a lot of answers to this kind of a question. Um, I used to work with students as a youth pastor, and as I worked with them, I began to realize that for students, uh, they looked at prayer, um, and their reasoning behind it was very problem-based, okay? They would have seasons where they would have a big problem, and so they prayed. And they would have faith, and they would pray a lot, you know, with big expectations. That, and they would hope that God would come through for them. And if he did, it was like, whoo, you know, mountaintop experience, right? And if he didn't, it was like, whoo, valley experience, right? Does God even care? Is he real? That's what we would have happen. Uh, other answers I've usually heard from adults. Um, often I've heard adults talking about about prayer, and, 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 and I've heard a lot of people share about not really praying for something to happen anymore, right? That uh, instead, prayer sounds sometimes a little more like therapy. You know, it's for mature Christians who know that God is just going to do what he's going to do. And unlike the teens, you know, who think that prayer changes things and get their hearts broken, we know better, right? Prayer is seen as more of a coping mechanism for Christians to feel okay with whatever happens, right? Because God's going to do what God's going to do, and prayer won't change that. And so it becomes a little more therapeutic in that sense to be okay with whatever happens. But I also think that maybe the most common answer to this question of why we pray, that I've seen and observed in church world, is because we do it because we're supposed to do it, right? We pray at mealtimes, and meetings, road trips, only long ones, and Bible studies. Why? Well, because we're supposed to, right? That's why we do it, isn't it? We just should. Now, these examples in their descriptions, they might sound familiar, uh, maybe too familiar. And certainly there's truth that's laced in every one of those ideas of prayer. The truth is that sometimes we pray because we're supposed to, Right? Uh, it can get things accomplished, but it can also accept hard things, uh, times when God says no. None of those reasons to pray are wrong, but what we're going to look at in a minute is that Jesus, who I think knows quite a bit about prayer, uh, he points out something that I think shows that each of those ideas in and of themselves are lacking. They're lacking. We're going to take a look at it from a passage of Scripture in the New Testament where Jesus pulls the curtains back from our motives in prayer, and he teaches us how to cultivate a new one. And he does this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Now, if you've never read this passage before, or maybe it's, you know, it's been a while, uh, you need to know that this is a groundbreaking passage on prayer. Okay, for a Christian, this is groundbreaking. As Jesus shows and points uh, out why and how, then, we're supposed to pray, right here in these verses. In this scene, Jesus is talking to large crowds of people, and it lays out what's called the famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've ever read this, you know that it doesn't read like this kind of a sermon, right? Uh, Instead, it it kind of sounds a little bit more like the Constitution of the United States. Right? Maybe a little more interesting than that. that. But, yeah, but in a sense, Jesus is dealing with several topics, one right after the other. And so in the middle of it here in chapter 6, we have 
Jesus addressing you know, a couple normal uh, areas of spiritual life, one of which is prayer. And he addresses prayer, and he says this revolutionary statement here on prayer, and he helps answer our question. So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Right, this was a common religious practice. We don't do this very often today, but this is a common religious practice in that time. So this was their way of praying, and they moved on to the reason of why here. That they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Their motive was praying for other people's uh, attention-grabbing. They got it. Now, in contrast, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Do the exact opposite. What's the motive? And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, that's a verse of scripture worth underlining, by the way. Verse 7. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. All right, the word heard here means that God will pay attention to, but more than that, that he will grant the request. He'll, he'll do something, right? So the practice of reciting prayer several times was customary of different religions in that day, and, and it was motivated by this idea that it will get things done. All right, it's pragmatic. All right, in contrast, Jesus says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Again, underline, circle, highlight that. Don't miss this. Jesus is uncovering something here for us, something that is so important. And so he moves from confronting these wrong examples here to finishing his teaching then with the right example. I want to point out that the next verse, verse 9, where it says, pray then like this, he is not saying pray this, okay? Um, he's, I don't want to step on any toes here, but, but he, he, Jesus isn't saying pray this prayer. He's saying pray like this. Pray in this way. Pray in this pattern. This is how you should be praying, right? Right? So Jesus goes on. He gives a practice based on this reason. All right, back to verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to guess that, that nobody actually used the word hollowed this past week, unless you were hollowing something out maybe, or I don't know, something along those lines. So what does this mean? This phrase here, it's a request, okay? It's actually, it's, it's a request. Hollowed is the verb form of holy, okay? So it is a request that God's name be treated with holiness, with, with respect, with reverence. And, and the idea is here is, 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 is wanting God's fame for people to treat it with respect. And notice that a concern for God's glory is the very first thing he prays for. Okay, verse, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you've been in church circles for very long, you know that those are two words, kingdom and, you know, your will, right? You hear those things a lot. You hear them a lot. What do they mean? 
What do they mean when we pray that? This was uh, one of the questions that we even got as, as we were going through this. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are praying that God's plan for history, okay, his, his, the way that he's ordained things to begin and end, this, this plan of salvation as he's redeeming things, it, our, we're praying, first and foremost, that that plan would come about. Also, though that's laced in there, is that we are praying for God's way. His, his way of doing things, the way that he intended things to happen, and the way that he did not intend certain things to happen, that things would go that way. Within his plan, within his redemptive plan, that things would go in the direction and happen, and we would be participating in the way that we were intended to. And then the final idea in here is that God would intervene, Right? God's going to do his will, if his will will be done, that idea is also interlaced in here that God will intervene as he desires, that he would come through on some of these different parts, that he would act and enable his commands. And so, catch this then, because oftentimes this is a struggle for why we should pray. God's going to do whatever he's going to do, right? He already knows all those things. But in Jesus' mindset, here, we should catch this. Jesus' mindset is that there is a role that our prayers play in God's will. That perhaps our prayer is a part of God bringing about his kingdom. That it is a part of his will. That it is the way we were intended to go about this. It's not a reason to sit back and do nothing. Jesus sees this as actually an active heart, praying for God's kingdom as well. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sin as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. That's the idea he develops in verses 14 and 15 a little bit more, but he finishes with saying this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil from the evil one. And of course, most of us learn the traditional ending of for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the fundamental idea here that Jesus is bringing out through all of this is something that, that when we see, it brings his prayer into focus and it also brings our prayers into focus as well. Jesus is cutting straight to the heart of the issue here. And the first thing that we need to realize about prayer is that our motivation drives our model. Our motivation drives our model. That means that our, our motive in praying drives the way we do it. Think about the text. What are the examples that Jesus is giving here about? What is he saying, right? That there's these hypocrites on a street corner and they're praying. Why? Because they want people's attention. That's why they're doing it this way. What else does he say? Why do certain people keep repeating these prayers? Why? Because. Because they want something to get done. They want to make God do something for them. And Jesus begins then his example of prayer by giving a motive. So that means that prayer that is powerful and effective, friends, is a prayer that has the right motive driving it. It's prayer that has answered this question of why should we pray 
correctly. And before we get there, let's pause and think about our own lives for a second. What's our motive in prayer? What's our motive in prayer? Have you ever thought about that? What's driving you to pray? What does it for you? You know, in this passage, Jesus reverse engineers this, right? He, he, he works backwards. Uh, he, that's how he works to figure it out. He begins with the model of how we're praying, and then he reveals the motive. Well, if we tried the same thing, imagine listening to yourself pray. What would it sound like? What, was, what does it sound like? What would you hear? Or what if you start taking note of the times when you pray? What would you find? Would it be that you know, maybe you only pray when other people are around? Would it be that maybe you just pray when you have a problem? Maybe not, right? What would you find? Would it be encouraging or discouraging? All right, now before we start assuming maybe our prayer lives are you know, just worthless or something like that, we want to pause there. We don't want to go down that route. We should be careful here. Remember, God is maturing us, right? Wherever we're at in learning to pray, he is maturing us. And before we get fixated on the practice, trying to get that right, we need to remember the point. Jesus was after our motivation in prayer before its practice. D.A. Carson puts this in perspective where he wrote, Jesus is not forbidding all long prayers or all repetition. He himself prayed at length in Luke 6. He repeated himself in prayer in Matthew 26. And he told a parable to show his disciples that they should always pray and not give up, Luke 18. His point is that his disciples should avoid meaningless, repetitive prayers offered under the misconception that mere length makes them efficacious. Such thoughtless battle can, babble can occur in liturgical and extemporaneous prayers alike. Essentially, it's thoroughly pagan. For pagan gods allegedly thrive on incantation and repetition. That was the thought in the passage, right? But the personal Father God to whom believers pray does not require information about our needs. So as Hill says, as a father knows the needs of his family, yet teaches them to ask in confidence and trust. So does God treat his children. See, this is where we begin to turn the corner. That if our motivation drives our model, then cultivating our motivation, the right motivation, really matters. And the motivation that Jesus is holding out here in the text for us is seeing God as our heavenly Father. It's seeing God as our heavenly Father. You might have caught that, right? He, he says it four times here. He brings it up four times in the text. That was the groundbreaking idea here that people had never heard before. Believe it or not, you can flip from Genesis to Matthew, and this will be the first time that you ever hear this idea introduced. This is completely unique. But this is the motivation for a follower of Christ. And the word they use it here, you may have heard it, it's used elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. It's a translation of the word Abba, meaning dad. 
Now, again, Jesus is teaching here. It's unheard of. In Judaism other, and other world religions, you know, this is considered blasphemy, right? But this is Jesus' invitation to his followers. And it, this is the invitation, by the way, of the gospel as it applies to prayer. To go from a sinner to a son, to, from a hypocrite to his. If we've been brought into this family as a son or a daughter, if we've repented and trusted in him, then God has become our heavenly father. And then we're stepping into a new way of life. And this gets to be our motive in prayer. It defines the way we're praying. That the God who created the galaxies in the Grand Canyon, the God who created the Apostle Islands and the Adam, is inviting us to talk to him as a father. That's amazing. That's amazing. It should never get old. And from this point on in the New Testament, this is what's laid out as the typical way we pray. It's to our Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that you can't address, you know, prayer to, to Jesus or, 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 or communicate with the Holy Spirit. There's examples of both in Scripture. But this is our new norm. This is to become our motive in prayer, that we get to pray to our Heavenly Father. We don't have to go through somebody else. We don't have to worry about all the red tape. Not if it's our Heavenly Father that we're praying to. And that my reward in prayer then, first and foremost, is talking to my Heavenly Father. Right? Now let's face it. That's an amazing invitation. But let's also face it. If this is such groundbreaking amazing way to pray that breathes life into our prayers, makes them powerful and effective, and we get to pray this way as sons and daughters, why does it seem that we might struggle with this motive, right? Because, you know, for some of us, you know, we, maybe we've heard this before, maybe we haven't, but, but we hear this talking to God as being, you know, close to him, that he's our father, and we're just not real sure about that. Why? Why would maybe this be difficult or uncomfortable at times for some of us or make us feel as if we're talking in a way that is immature or maybe even in a way that is irreverent? I remember a couple years back, I had a, a guy who didn't just feel uncomfortable with this idea. He disagreed with it. And uh, he was sharing with me uh, his reasoning for it. I, th I thought it was you know, one of the best explanations of it that I heard. He, you know, what he shared with me was, was that... Um, that Jesus' invitation here to call God Father, or when, you know, Jesus says that, you know, he sees us as friends in John 15, that it's just a figure of speech. It's like, you know, when somebody, you know, who is President Smith or Dr. Jones says, hey, just call me Jack, right? Just call me Jack. Now, it's nice for them to say that, really, but out of respect, out of decorum, you know, that's, you know, we, we really shouldn't. You know, we should still probably call them, you know, President Smith, right? We shouldn't get too familiar for one reason or another. Is that how we feel a little bit when we hear this? That sure, God invites us to call him Father. That's nice, you know, and all, but that's not really what we should call him. Out of respect, you know, we don't want to get too close. 
We don't want to sound immature. Maybe we don't want to talk this way to someone we don't really know that well, right? Some of this resonates, doesn't it? And whether you're hesitant with this invitation or not, because for one reason or another, we might have that. We need to realize, though, that the invitation from Jesus still stands. And I think, sadly, many of us are missing out rather than taking Jesus at his word. Because, friends, when you look at this passage, there's no ambiguity about this invitation. There's no winks in the eye. This is exactly what it's meant to be. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. In fact, you'll notice in the Lord's Prayer, we move from calling God Father to asking that his name would be respected, revered by people. Apparently, growing closer to God and seeing him as our Heavenly Father means that our desire only grows for people to see him with respect with reverence, that as we grow closer to God, our desire for holiness, for him to be treated as the one that deserves all respect, grows. Growing closer to God does not diminish it. So the choice is ours. Will we reject it? Or will we press in through the deeper life of God that's available through Jesus? Because we can clearly see from, our, from this passage that our motive it's going to drive our model, one way or another, for talking to God. So cultivating a motive that Jesus has invited us into, it's huge. And if we, especially if we want the kind of rewarding prayer life that Jesus had. So I have a, a very radical challenge for you this week. You ready? I want to challenge us to begin doing exactly what Jesus says here. To go into a room by ourselves and talk out loud and plain English to God about the kinds of needs, the kinds of things from our daily life that Jesus prayed about here. We even put it on a slide for you here. It's that complicated. And to do it with the motive that you are talking to your heavenly Father. There's no better motive than that. And friends, there is no better way to learn to pray than this right here. As I thought about this message, uh, a certain picture kept coming back to my mind that I wanted, to, I wanted to share with you that maybe helped cement this idea in your mind. Many of you know I have um, three rascally boys, and they're very small, thankfully. They're not too heavy yet. And uh, when I come home... They usually meet me at the door running and jumping <laughs> at me. They yell, Daddy, right? It makes my day. It makes my day. Best part of my day. But I want you to picture this. What if instead they walked up to me, and they offered their hand, and they said, Oh, John, Mr. John, hunter, provider, protector of our home, thanks for all you do. And then they walked on. How would that be? I mean, okay, I guess. <laughs> a little bit odd since I know everything about them <laughs> and I've poured my life out for them. Now, I could understand if Adele and I maybe, you know, adopted a little boy, we could totally understand why it would take time 
and maybe feel uncomfortable at first to yell, Dad, run and give me a big hug. But still, wouldn't that be my hope for where things would end up? You bet it would. It would be the longing of my heart. And friends, this morning, God's hope for you and for me as sons and daughters who have been adopted into his family is that we would learn to talk to him and to see him and to trust him as our heavenly father. And that that desire would become more and more of our motivation and that it would influence forever how we pray. Amen? Let's pray. Father, You've heard all of these words. You've heard us calling on you through song. You've heard us listening to you through your word. And so this morning, Father, we pray, we ask you would grow our prayer lives. Lord, we ask that you would mature us in this way, that we would no longer fear, we would no longer worry, that our prayer life would be centered and grounded in the fact that you are our heavenly father and that we love you. And so father, as that motivation grows in our life, help us to walk into a place of deeper submission with you, greater respect and a deeper desire for your will and your kingdom. Help us to find that quiet place where we are alone to talk to you. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.